Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to John chapter 10. We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of John uh, this morning. And uh, before we turn to God's Word, uh, let me just uh, acknowledge the kids who uh, have been uh, taking notes on the sermons each week. We have these uh, four by six cards out in the lobby for you kids. You can grab one of these on your way in and grab a pen. And the kids try to write down the main points and all the subpoints. Uh, from the sermons that I just wanted to acknowledge the kids who, who turned in uh, notes from uh, uh, John, Doctor, uh, Pastor John's uh, sermon last week, uh, Charlotte Keel, uh, Jane Copeland, Samuel Keel, Isaac Clausen. Actually, I wanted to point out uh, on point two, Isaac made this note, to receive grace begins with our weakness. And actually, I was thinking about this before first service. I was coming up to uh, get ready for my sermon, feeling my own weakness. And I was meditating on what he, his reflections there, that grace is, uh, weakness is the doorway to God's grace. And I just think, man, these kids, think of knowing that from what your childhood. You save you a lot of grief in life to know that weakness is, is how God meets us. Uh, Grady Smith, Molly Walker, Ming Mei Simonowski, uh, Claire Ayers, um, uh, Lydia Rosenberg, Ruth uh, Dornboss, Madeline Fredette, Coco Kaler. Some good notes here, no name, but the good notes. Uh, Isaac Ellis, I had to share one thing from Isaac. Isaac put at the top of his sermon, it was the best sermon, and I uh, Brandon, his dad told me after the service, he wrote that before the sermon started, that it was the best sermon. And then, you know, we were thinking, Isaac, you know, that's the gospel. God tells us at the beginning of our life, if your life is a sermon, best sermon ever at the beginning. And then we, live, we get the verdict on our life from, because of Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' forgiveness at the beginning of our life. We're not, and that's what, he got the verdict before he gave the sermon. You know, it set him on a good path, so... So that was the gospel right there. I thought it was, I liked that. So uh, uh, Sarah Rosenberg, Gabrielle Fredette. I think this is Helen Ayers here, Miriam Keel. And so great job to you kids. Keep up the good work. And I love reading your thoughts and your notes on the sermons. And, and a good model to us as parents as well to, uh, to focus on God's word. So uh, we're going to turn now to uh, John uh, chapter 10. And um, we're picking up in, in verse 1, and this is, this is Jesus speaking. Hear the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, uh, the sheep hear his voice, and he, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, is insane, why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. Each word carefully inspired by your Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, each word uh, pregnant with meaning, uh, deserving of our attention. Lord, we long to hear from you. We long to hear the voice of our good shepherd. That we would hear your voice and come to you and that we would follow you. So speak to us now, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Today, uh, we are talking about the topic of leadership. And that may not be the obvious, an obvious topic from this passage I just read, but the words from Jesus in John 10 are about shepherding. And shepherding is one of the most important images used throughout the Bible. Uh, it's one of the primary images to talk both about political leaders and church leaders. So for example, in the Old Testament, kings of nations are called shepherds. They shepherd their people. And then the elders in the church are called shepherds. And of course, God himself is called a shepherd in the Bible. Maybe the most famous chapter in the whole Bible, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me besides still waters. Uh, it's an incredible poem uh, with this pastoral shepherding imagery. But I think that the insights from this passage apply more broadly to all kinds of men and women who are in roles of leadership. Not just in the church or in the government, but in, in the home, in the workplace, in the community. If you are a leader, this passage applies to you. If you're led by people, other people, this passage applies to you because leaders shape so much of what we experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And so what does God expect for people who are put in, in roles of leadership? Well, I want to answer that by answering three questions that uh, this passage answers for us this morning. This is what they are. 
What are the marks of a good shepherd or a good leader? What are the marks of a good shepherd? What are the marks of a false shepherd or a bad leader? And then lastly, of course, then who is the good shepherd? So what are the marks of a good shepherd? What are the marks of a false shepherd? And who then is the good uh, shepherd? And uh, three uh, important points. I had a, a lot to say on this. I had to really trim it down to like, get it to sermon size. So it's some, some great insights in John 10. So three questions this morning. And the first is this. What are the marks of a good shepherd? What makes someone a good leader? And I'm going to point out four qualities that we see from this passage. So first, a good shepherd knows his sheep. A good shepherd knows his sheep. And you see that in verse 14 when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So Jesus says that the essence of a relationship between a leader and his or her people is that he or she knows the people and the people know their leader. There is a relational knowledge. There's a trust. And it's not just that the leader knows the people. The people know the leader. Um, personal knowledge is the mark of a good shepherd. And actually, sometime in the last couple of weeks, someone told me this. I can't remember who it was. If it was you, you can come tell me. Uh, they were telling me that they were uh, on a train and whoever they were sitting by was someone, I don't know if they call him a shepherd, but they raised sheep. And they were telling him about their work, and they were going past these fields. And they say, yeah, actually, you look over in that field right over there. Those are some of my sheep right over in the field. They were going by in the train. And these sheep were probably a quarter mile away. And he could tell from a quarter mile that those were his sheep. You know, the way they walked, and maybe they walked around in a funny way, or there were distinct marks, that uh, subtle marks that he recognized them. And you can see in this passage the individual attention the shepherd gives to each one of his sheep. Verse 3 there, second part of verse 3. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls each one individually by name. He knows them individually. And shepherds learn this intimate knowledge about their sheep because they spend so much time with them. You know, shepherds in the ancient world, you know, they, in the morning, they bring the sheep out to go find some water and to graze, and then they find a shady place for the, the uh, sheep to rest during midday, and they got, you know, their, their rod and their staff, or they're beating off wolves, so they're protecting the sheep. And then at the end of the day, the uh, sheep would, uh, you know, they would tend to sheep who are, had a fever or had been scratched during the day uh, before the end of this. So it was a whole day process. Actually, uh, Tyson Smith is a member of our church. He, he has sheep. And he was, he was telling me that sheep will actually come to him when they have something wrong with them. And they'll be like, bah, bah. And they're, he's like, why, why aren't you with the other sheep? And they're telling him, I need help. And you're the one I come to for help. You know, that's what, that's what sheep do. It's, it's a kind of a morning to night job. And I think that's why the Bible uses the image of a shepherd for ministry in the church. Pastors and elders and church leaders need to know the people, need to hear their stories, need to know what's happening in their lives. And I'll tell you, it's not just true in the church. I think this is also true in businesses, in workplaces. Uh, there's a, a great book I read a couple years ago called Radical Candor. Some of you might know it's by... Uh, Kim Scott. Kim Scott was high up at Google and Apple. And it's a book about 
being direct with people, speaking clearly to them and being honest with them. And she says, though, you know, you can be direct and honest and be kind of aggressive and harsh with people. And so it's really important that your directness is paired with caring personally for the people that you work with. It means you got to be interested in them. You have to know the people. What do they do outside of work? What's happening in their lives? You actually care about them as a person. That's a key part of leading them. And so that's the first mark of a good shepherd is a good shepherd knows his sheep. Second, a good shepherd goes before the sheep so they can follow him. A good shepherd goes before the sheep so they can follow him. And you see that in verse 3 there again, second part of verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. They literally follow in the footsteps of of the shepherd. Now, it's pretty common for people to say that uh, sheep are particularly stupid or unintelligent animals. Actually, when our staff was talking about this, though, this passage, uh, Amy Barron, who's our campus coordinator, she said she grew up caring for sheep. And she said, you know, they're not that stupid. One of the things that, is, uh, that sheep are particularly good at is recognizing the voice of their shepherd. I read somewhere that if you had a bunch of sheep that are all mixed in, a bunch of flocks that are mixed in, and one of the shepherds comes and calls to his sheep, just the sheep that are a part of his flock will come. Because they can distinguish the voice of their shepherd from other shepherds. But uh, the thing... But the Bible says that the main problem that sheep have is that they wander off and they get themselves hurt or in trouble. And I've had to chase after sheep and it's a huge hassle, you know, trying to get them and they're, they're not listening to where you're going. And they can't provide for themselves. They can't find food or water. They are helpless and vulnerable and they're lost without a shepherd. And so the shepherd goes before them and he gives them a path to follow. And it's the same with a good leader. A good leader has a pattern of life for people to watch and emulate. They are an example. And this is exactly what the apostles say later in the New Testament. Uh, in First Peter, uh, Peter says this about Jesus. First Peter 2, he says, For this you have been called, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Actually, just a couple verses later, you know what he says? He says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So you see the shepherd uh, leaves an example for them to follow in his steps. And then Peter, just a few chapters later in 1 Peter 5, he applies that same thing. He says not just about Jesus, but it's also the elders in the church. He says, 1 Peter 5, So I, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, not domineering, over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. You hear all the shepherding, sheep language, the flock. And that's why I say good shepherds go before the sheep so the sheep have a path to follow. And when I was living in St. Louis, uh, before we moved back to Bellingham to, to pastor Christ Church, uh, the church that I was a member of there, there was a, a man that I, I met one morning. He was maybe 65 or 70. I'd never seen him at church before. And during the kind of coffee time after church, I went up to him and said, hey, what's your name? And, and we got talking and we had this really deep conversation. It turned out that he 
had formerly been one of the top five executives at McDonnell Douglas, which is an aerospace corporation that make jets and stuff like that. And, uh, and he hadn't been in church in like 40 years. And he had, this was his second time back to church. And I met him. And so we built a relationship. And I would, I would go over to his house. And he had this room that we would go into that had this fireplace. And he had these antique couches. I think they were from China or something like that. And we'd sit in this room and we'd have these conversations. And he, uh, I would talk to him about, you know, why Jesus raised from the dead. And he would talk to me about leadership. And, and he had a friend who was a, um, a, a cabinet member with two presidents. And they had studied together you know, leaders who had really shaped the world over history. And what were the kind of defining marks of them? And he says, we found out there are four defining marks of these leaders. And I'm sitting in this room, I'm thinking, oh, I'm getting the secret to, and so he says, this is what the four marks are. He says, true leaders, they have a picture of the future. And uh, the example he gave Martin Luther King, when he'd say, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, by the, but by the content of their character. He has a picture of a new world in the future. So that's the first quality. The second thing is that they're able to communicate that picture in a compelling way. But the third thing was that the leader himself is an embodiment of that picture. His life represents that picture. That's who Martin Luther King was. And you see, being a leader means that you see how the world could be different and your life is a picture of the new world. And above all, that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is bringing a new world. He says his kingdom is coming and his life was a picture of the new world that he was inviting us into. And so when we say, what are the marks of a good shepherd? These are the first two things is that they know their sheep and that they go before their sheep as an example for the sheep to emulate, to follow, a path for the sheep to walk in. But if you look at the example from 1 Peter that, Jesus gave, that Peter gave about Jesus, it says specifically that Christ suffered for you. And that's the, the third quality of leadership, the good shepherd that we see in this passage, is that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Five times Jesus mentions that in this passage. You see there verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Second part of verse 15 there. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. So Jesus, of course, talking about when he would go to the cross. That's when he would lay down his life. The defining moment of his leadership was when he died for the sins of his people and for the sins of his sheep. But, you know, this is a particularly interesting passage because on the one hand, Jesus is explaining how supreme and ultimate his authority is. Like how supreme of a leader he is. Because he says, no one takes my life from me. If you've ever read the Gospels, you might think, oh, was, you know, Jesus dying on the cross, was that because there were all these evil leaders who, who are thwarting Jesus' plans and then put him to death on the cross? And he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay down my life of my own accord. He says, it, this was the plan that the Father and the Son, before the world was even created, the Father and the Son had planned together that the turning point in history would be that the Son of God would come to the earth and die for the sins of the world. That was, they had planned that. 
And so Jesus has supreme authority over everything that happens in history, and yet what does he do with his authority? He lays down his life for the sheep. He sacrifices himself in love. And this is reminiscent of another place in the Gospels. There's a place where two of Jesus' disciples come to him, and they, James and John, and they say, hey, when you're in your kingdom, can we sit on your right hand and your left? You know, okay, you'll be number one, and we'll be tied for number two in your kingdom. And Jesus says, do you have any idea what you're asking? Like, do you know how much suffering you will have to go through to sit in those seats, the cup that you'll have to drink? Are you able to drink that cup? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we can do it. We can, we can drink the cup. And then... Immediately after that, Jesus says some of the most important words about leadership ever spoken. This is what Jesus says. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He says the way the world works, leadership, is, is you know, domineering, harshness, bossing people around, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The central mark of biblical leadership is sacrificial love. It's not charisma. It's not being a visionary. It's not bossing people around. It's not having a position that is respected. To be a leader means to serve others and give your life away for them. That's what a leader is. And of course, that's why when the Bible says that a husband is the head of his household, what's the primary way that a husband is the head of his household? This is what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sacrificial love. Now, this is already a beautiful picture of leadership, you know, the shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know him. And, uh, and he gives an example for them to follow in his footsteps. They can emulate the leader. And, uh, and he's sacrificially loving and serving his sheep. But there's one more quality of the good shepherd that's important here. And this is the fourth quality is that the good shepherd welcomes those outside the flock. The good shepherd welcomes those outside the flock. And you see what Jesus says in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now what this is talking about is that, you know, when Jesus says, he's in Jerusalem speaking this, and he's speaking to a group of Jews. And when he says, I am the good shepherd, what that immediately means to them is in the Old Testament, it was promised that the son of David would be the true king, the Messiah, who would come, and he would be the good shepherd over, uh, over Israel, God's people. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he is saying, I am the Messiah. But here he's adding that the Messiah, I have come not just to save you, the Jews, but there are others, there are foreigners. And they will hear my voice, and they're going to follow me too. Now what foreigners is Jesus talking about, that are also going to hear his voice and follow him. That's us. Here we are on the other side of the planet. I mean, like literally the other side of the planet. Different culture, different language, different century. And we're hearing, we've heard the voice of Jesus and we've become his sheep. And we've been brought into that one uh, flock, that one people. 
And we have one shepherd. And in every nation, in every language, every ethnic group, every, uh, every culture, Jesus has sheep who love his voice. The good shepherd is always welcoming those outside the flock. And, you know, I mentioned that that guy where I'd sit by the fireplace and talk to him about leadership, that he said there were four qualities of true leadership. They, they have a picture of the future. They're able to communicate the picture of the future. Their life embodies the picture. But the fourth thing was that they are bridge builders. They bring together people who normally don't associate with one another, and they bring them together on this project. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., you have black people and white people who came together in the civil rights movement. And uh, good leaders are always bringing new people in. They are not threatened by new people. And you look at the diversity of the Christian church around the globe, and no one has done this like Jesus. The people, the diversity of people that Jesus has brought in. He is the bridge builder. And so what are the marks of a good shepherd? Four things. They know their sheep. They go before them as an example. They lay down their lives in service and sacrificial love, and they welcome outsiders. And I'll tell you, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're in the church, in your workplace, in your home, or on a sports team, leaders like this are such a blessing, blessing to communities, blessings to people. But a major portion of this passage is also a warning. Uh, as much as good leaders are a blessing, bad leaders are a curse. And so that's our second question. What are the marks of the false shepherd? What are the marks of the false shepherd or a bad leader? Well, there are two kinds of false shepherds described in this passage, the hired hand and the thief. And I think there's something to learn from each of them. Okay, so first, the hired hand. The hired hand refuses to face conflict. The hired hand refuses to face conflict. You see what Jesus says in verse 12? He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now this is basically the description of a bad pastor. When crisis or conflict comes, they run. And Jesus says at the end of the verse, why do they run? Because they don't care for the sheep. Which is a really interesting thought. The evidence of love in leadership looks like facing conflict. How many of you think that way? The evidence of love in leadership looks like being willing to face conflict. And, you know, most of us have been in organizations or workplaces where there's, uh, you know, an unhealth that is not being addressed. And it deeply affects everyone. You know, if you've been in a workplace, you're spending 40 hours a week in a work environment like that. And everyone's like, we know this is toxic or, unhe you know, unhealthy or dysfunctional. And no one is addressing it. It affects everyone. And I love the image, uh, oh, uh, Kim Scott, who who wrote that book, Radical Candor, she calls this ruinous empathy. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, and so we never address what needs to be addressed. Well, I love the image of a, a shepherd with a wolf, because what, is, what does a shepherd have to do to protect the sheep? He has to take his body and put it in between the wolf and the sheep. So take your body and put it in the place of conflict. And that's always what conflict feels like, is I, I don't know what's going to happen, 
but I can't run, and I'm going to take my body, and I'm going to put it in the place of the conflict, and I'm going to trust God. What does that look like in the church? It means leaders being willing to stay with the people in the midst of their crises. It's hard to be with people in their crises. Take your body and put it there. Leaders being willing to face false teaching and immorality, face the criticism of the world and our culture, go face the wolf and then do whatever the next right thing is. And this is the thing about conflict. The reason conflict is so scary is because you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you don't have a script for how the wolf is going to act when you go face them, right? They're unpredictable. They're kind of wild. And so you're, you're gonna, you have to go into it. And the hired hand does not have the courage to be a leader and put his body in the place of conflict. Leadership always takes courage. And courage should always come from love. So the first false shepherd... It's the hired hand who refuses to face conflict. But there's a greater threat in this passage than the hired hand. And that's second, the thief. And the thief uses the sheep for himself. The thief uses the sheep for himself. And there's a kind of leadership where the leader uses the people for himself, for his own ego, his own gain, his own advancement. And you see in verse 1, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, in this passage, the metaphors are a little hard to follow because Jesus says both that he's the door and the shepherd. And so at certain points of the passage, you got to go, is Jesus the shepherd or is it the door right now? And I think in this part of the passage, Jesus is the door. And he's talking about the leaders among God's people, that there are thieves and there are shepherds. And the thieves do not go in through the door. The good shepherds go in through the door. And what he's saying is that the good shepherds know Jesus. They've been loved by him. They hear his voice. They, uh, they've trusted in him. They uh, follow his example. And the thief has not done this. The thief has not been loved by Jesus, does not trust in Jesus, does not listen to his voice. And Jesus tells us these kinds of leaders will be in the church. Now, an important piece of background to John 10 is Ezekiel 34. If you want to go read, Ezekiel 34 is a powerful chapter. I can't read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read a paragraph from it. Maybe this afternoon you go, I'm going to go read Ezekiel 34. And, uh, but let me, this is what it says in Ezekiel 34. The Lord says, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. It's an incredibly powerful picture of false shepherds using the sheep. And the definition of abuse is using people. This is spiritual abuse. And some of you have been in, in churches or homes or workplaces where you've been ruled in harshness by false shepherds. And you know how powerful this leadership is in your life. 
And you see that the emphasis, where, where is the, em- the emphasis of a shepherd supposed to be? On the weak, the sick, the injured, the strayed, and the lost. And so on the one hand, it might be comforting to know that God sees this and he condemns it. But there's an even more comforting truth if you keep reading in Ezekiel 34. Because basically, Ezekiel 34 says there aren't any good shepherds. <laughs> you know, he's, the Lord is looking at Israel, there's no good shepherds. It's like the whole nation of people are being harassed and abused and no one is able or willing to care for them. And so in the next paragraph, this is what it says. This is what the Lord says. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy I will feed them in justice. The Lord says, I will be their shepherd. And this is crucial background for understanding this passage, which leads to our third question. Okay, so we've looked at the marks of a good shepherd. He knows the sheep. He, he goes before them as an example. He lays down his life in sacrificial love. He brings in the outsiders. And we've seen the marks of the bad shepherds who refuse, uh, who avoid conflict and only want to serve, serve themselves. But lastly, who then is the good shepherd? Now, some of you at this point in the sermon may be thinking, this passage isn't about four principles about how to be a good leader. Jesus, it's about Jesus. He keeps saying, I am the good shepherd. We're not the good shepherds. He's the good shepherd. And if you think that, I, I agree with you. Because he's talking about Ezekiel 34. And he's saying, the Lord God of the Old Testament promised that he would come to his people. And he said, I would be your shepherd among you. And Jesus says, I am him. I am the God of the Old Testament. And I'm here now to shepherd you. I am the good shepherd. And we all long to have a leader like that in our lives who knows us and teaches us and loves us and brings us into his community. How many of us long for leaders like that in our lives? How many of you have said, I wish I had a mentor in my life? Jesus is that leader. He's the one who knows us and lets us know him. He is the one who goes before us and is an example to follow. His life is a pattern for us. But even more, he's the one who laid down his life to cover all our failings in following him. And he is the one who is welcoming the outsiders in. The Lord has given to this church many loving and capable leaders. But ultimately, there is only one leader who can do all that we need. And we can only become lowercase g good shepherds when we know the uppercase g good shepherd. He is the leader the world is longing for. And what a comfort to know he has claimed us as his own beloved sheep. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you, our good shepherd. We all see how prone to wander we are, how vulnerable we are. And how deeply we need uh, you to lead us, to feed us, to protect us, to care for us. I pray for this, your flock here in Bellingham. Those that have heard your voice and come to you. And Lord, would we always recognize your voice? Uh, Would we stay near to you? And we pray that 
in our church, you would give us and raise up faithful under-shepherds and that you would also send out from this church leaders into workplaces, the community of Whatcom County, who reflect the leadership of Christ. Um, But above all, we long to be known by you and to know you. We pray this in your name. Amen.